rogue drain covers, dominant teams, and some reliability issues. This week, I'm chatting all about F1's 2024 pre-season testing. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Sarah, and today we're going to be chatting about F1's pre-season testing out in Bahrain. We have finally seen F1 cars on track in 2024, and I'm not talking shakedowns, and I'm not talking filming days. I'm talking about proper F1 testing. Now, this is genuinely one of my favourite times in the F1 season. Hopes are still sky high for your favourite teams. It doesn't matter whether you're supporting Red Bull, Ferrari, Haas. You have high hopes that whatever your team has done over the winter break is gonna work and create an absolutely amazing car. And the best thing about testing is that you can stay delusional the entire way through it. Because there is a caveat when it comes to F1 testing because we don't really know where all the teams are. Because there is a little caveat when it comes to F1 testing and that's the fact that we never fully know where the teams are. Now we might have a vague idea of who's where but we don't have a really good read on race pace and qualifying pace so there are still some guessing games that are going on when we get to testing that being said though this f1 testing felt kind of quiet so let's break it down day by day and then we'll have a chat about each of the teams and where i think they're ranking even though i have said yes we don't fully know but just from what we've seen in testing and what we've heard in the media i'll let you guys know what i think now, day one of testing was an interesting one for some of the teams. Actually, it was quite quiet. I was expecting a couple of more red and yellow flags, especially on the very first day of testing, because you're getting these teams to go out in their cars for the first time, do these very, very long runs, and that's normally when we find reliability issues cropping up. Now, if we look at the number of laps and the mileage in day one, because that's mainly what I'm going to be focusing on, I think it's what most people focus on when we get into F1 testing, right? Because timesheets and lap times don't really give us the full story. You don't know what teams run glory runs, you don't know engine modes, fuel loads, all the rest of it. So mileage is usually a really good way to know whether or not a team is on track with their program, whether they're having reliability issues and things like that. As a rule of thumb, I would say a team that has a solid, decent amount of laps in means that one, yep, no reliability issues and two, they're getting through the program they want and they've got a good amount of data which is always a good starting point for the season. Now that being said it was actually Haas that had the most amount of laps in day one of testing. 148 laps from them which was surprising. They're a team that usually have some issues during testing whether it's reliability or they're just trying to problem solve other things but no they had the most amount of laps. After that came Red Bull, Ferrari, Kicksauber, Aston Martin, McLaren, Mercedes, Alpine, RB which is VCARB or Visa Cash App RB and then it was Williams with the least. Now Williams were the only team that didn't hit 100 laps in the first day of testing. They only got 61 laps in. If you're looking at drivers well Logan Sargent was the driver with the least amount of laps he only got 21 of them in and then Max Verstappen had the most he had 143 laps. Now he was running for the full day though he was one of the few drivers that did a full day of testing instead of splitting with the teammate. After Maxo was Nico Hulkenberg with 82 laps in one session. So yeah, really strong showing from Haas in that first day. And I think really in those opening minutes of testing, when we were seeing the cars out on track, when we had all of those images come out from the teams, you could really tell how many of the teams had started to evolve more towards the Red Bull philosophy or the old Red Bull philosophy. I think when we saw all the separate livery reveals, we could see that people were starting to go towards the Red Bull sort of theory and concept. However, 
it wasn't until we started seeing the cars on track when they were all together when they were in the pit lane that you really saw that teams were starting to understand that yeah that concept was the best way to get a quick car saying that though with all of the teams trying to converge towards what red bull did last year and the year before that red bull decided to vastly change their concept and i spoke about this in the livery reveal episode because we spoke about some of the technical aspects of the car there but yeah red bull really did change their car and not a little bit there were big noticeable changes there and it wasn't the show car that they showed us in the livery reveal that is their 2024 contender and adrian newey said look we knew that teams were going to start following what we had been doing because they were going to realize that was the best concept that they could follow at this point right and if they did that and we didn't move or we only changed our concept a little bit teams were going to catch up with us naturally they were gonna figure out what we were doing figure out how to unlock pace and catch up with us and we couldn't let that happen so we needed to change big parts of the car we needed to change our concept a little bit so we could stay ahead sensible thing to do wasn't really expecting it considering what some of the comments were from red bull going into winter break when they said it's going to be more of an evolution not a revolution in their car this does feel a little bit more of a revolution however yep a lot of the teams nine teams seeming to really gear towards the old red bull philosophy while red bull move ahead with something a little bit different Mercedes had a bit of an interesting day one of testing. George Russell was in the car for the whole day. A lot of chatter about the front wing of the Mercedes spoke about that, like I said, in the livery reveal episode, whether it was legal or not. And Mercedes and Toto have come out and said, no, we checked with the FIA. It is legal. The question is whether it's in the spirit of the rules and regulations. And yeah, that's going to probably be a debate that goes on for a little bit. But as far as I can tell, and as far as media outlets i've read about can tell that front wing is within regulations that topmost blade is connected to the nose it's just connected in a very very small fashion and that's absolutely fine it's still a continuous piece they have just found a way to really really minimize the amount of connection that there is and now i'm pretty sure at one point i read or heard that the rumor was mercedes would be a second faster per lap with this new concept and they're one of the teams that changed the most from their no pod concept really moving towards what red bull did and not just on the outside but they said there was a lot of change in the underbody of the car as well now i can't lie i feel like saying it's going to be a second faster per lap might be a little bit of a stretch I know we have had teams that have really, really boosted up the field. Aston Martin and McLaren last year, prime examples of that. However, I think we have heard this a lot from Mercedes since these new regulations have come in, how this upgrade is going to make it super quick. This year, they're really going to be able to battle with Red Bull at the front of the pack, and we have yet to see it happen. And for that reason, I'm just holding back hope a little bit on what this car can do. I don't necessarily think it will be a second faster. Mercedes had a bit of a slow start to testing though, right? I can't lie. George Russell spent about 72 minutes in the garage at one point during that morning session while Mercedes were trying to sort something out. And then even when he came out, the bump going into the first corner at that Bahrain International Circuit he really hit it more than we've seen other cars hit it and i was kind of like yes whatever you were trying to fix in the garage in those 72 minutes ride height optimization 
probably not one of them but yeah really slow start only got 47 laps in in the morning and the only other driver that had less than him was Alex Albon and we will get on to that in a minute but yeah not a great running from Mercedes in the morning afternoon though a lot better a lot smoother got a lot more laps in Red Bull I mean yeah at the start it looked like the car was a bit difficult to drive didn't look the easiest didn't look the smoothest but they dialed that car in very very quickly and yeah Max Verstappen was in the car the whole day just like George Russell was and once those problems were sort of smoothed out once the setup was sorted suspension changes were made he was just gliding along in that car there's nothing else to say it was the smoothest car on track on day one and it just looked like such a joy to ride and that has been the story of Red Bull for the past two years now yeah two years since the regulations came in even with this slightly more drastic change in concept that I wasn't necessarily expecting it's not causing them any issues on day one some of the other teams i've got notes on so we've got ferrari who had charlotte in the morning carlos in the afternoon and morning with charlotte we had a couple of lockups from him once again i think it was just a setup issue for ferrari all of the teams were having these sort of bumps and lockups and just not having a smooth ride straight away it's a new car they're still trying to learn which setup is going to be best for the circuit and for the driver the car did look like it was bouncing around a little bit at one point which was slightly concerning however as we got on further and further in the day it smoothed out like the red bull maybe didn't look as smooth as the red bull but it did improve as time went on williams though had an absolute nightmare in day one of testing i think that's fair to say they really struggled like I mentioned, they were the team with the least amount of laps, only managed to get 61 in. I think the race distance at Bahrain is 57 laps, so over eight hours of testing, they only just managed to do a little bit over a race distance. Now, they were a team that did split their first day of testing between their two drivers, so Alex drove in the morning, Logan was in the afternoon. Morning session, Alex Alvin was in the garage, he had DRS issues, so that needed to be sorted out because it wasn't working properly. We also saw him come in to change the torsion bar and the ride height after he had a few moments off of track. The Williams did not look easy to drive, probably looked like one of the more difficult cars to drive. And then 20 minutes left in that morning session and Alex Alban ends up stopping on track. So after a few moments where he's been off track, he ended up stopping and yes, managed to stop off track so he wasn't on it and it only caused the yellow flag because they were able to get that car out of the way without having to get anyone on track to push it out of the way and stop the full session. But yes, he caused the first and only proper yellow flag that we had in during testing and it ended up being because of a fuel pump issue. So not the start to testing they probably wanted. Logan did manage to get out in the afternoon though because lunch happened so they had an hour and like 40 minutes all together to sort that out. He did come out a little bit later though. There were other issues I think Williams picked up on that they needed to fix. But I mean, he ended up also going off track. I think he went over a bump basically and lost the rear end. The car spun into the gravel and that meant he had to come back into the pits because he had flat spotted his tyres and they just needed to check the car for any damage. All that was checked over didn't seem like there was much damage because he wasn't in the pits for very long he came out though and it looked like he just couldn't sort out the gears of the car they were getting stuck they weren't really shifting the way they should have 
and then he had to go back into the garage to sort that out. That seemed a little bit more concerning. We had Williams and Mercedes engineers looking at the back of the car. Mercedes engineers there because they are supplying Williams with the gearbox and the engine and I think one or two other bits as well. Ended up being a drive shaft issue that needed to be fixed and the thing is with Williams this year is they're opting to use the 2023 spec of the drive shaft and of the gearbox that Mercedes supplies. Mercedes have obviously updated it for 2024. They're using the new spec. I'm assuming Aston Martin and McLaren are also using the new spec, but Williams opted not to. And whether that's because they think that the old spec is absolutely fine and don't really want to take a risk on a new spec one, whether it's because they just know how to package that better. There was a big change to the gearbox with Mercedes. It's one of the things that they were talking about. So whether that big change was not something Williams were able to or wanted to accommodate to, they opted to stick with the 2023 spec. Now, the commentator said they thought this was a little bit strange that there was a drive shaft issue and that they were looking at the back of the car because all of that stuff that Mercedes had been supplying Williams last year was very reliable and yet, You've got to admit, there weren't that many technical issues per se with Mercedes when it comes to their PU and their gearbox. We weren't hearing a lot about there being technical issues. Gearbox changes tended to happen after any incidents and crashes from the drivers, really. So a little bit strange that they were having those issues. I wonder whether it might have been a faulty connection. I wonder whether the spin might have caused something that they hadn't realised. Or, yeah, the way they're packaging it maybe wasn't the best. But yes, drive shaft issue is what caused Logan Sargent to have to go back into the pits for a little while while they got that sorted. And if I remember correctly, I think that ended up being the end of his testing. It was why he only got 21 laps in. And as a guy going into his second year in Formula 1 after what wasn't a stellar rookie year, his seat for this year was very, very questionable. There was a big question mark hanging over his head. He is trying to prove to Williams once again that he deserves a contract next year because his contract is only for a year and probably that he wants a longer term contract, not just a year long. So he's got a lot to prove. Testing is obviously going to help all the drivers get to grips with the car. So to only get 21 laps in on the first day, probably not what he was hoping for. Other notable things that came up, I mean, Esteban Ocon and the Alpine had some moments off track. Kevin Magnussen had a loose aero rake on his car at one point, and Haas also said that they're apparently focusing more on their tyre performance than the overall performance. So yeah, I think that just about sums up day one. Max was in P1 on the timesheets, which was no surprise on the C3 tyres followed by Norris. I think the biggest surprise in this timesheet was Daniel Ricciardo in that RB in fourth place. Both horses ended up finishing at the bottom, making sense if they're not really focusing on overall performance. And yeah, George Russell ended up finishing in 12th place. Now he was definitely focusing more on race simulations and long runs than Mercedes really wanted to focus on qualifying laps. So a lot more long runs from Mercedes. Looking at day two of testing, we did get a little bit more drama. We got a red flag actually during day two. And surprisingly, this was not down to any of the drivers technically. It was actually down to a rogue train cover that had come off. Now, Charles Leclerc had gone over it, I think had loosened it. Lewis Hamilton had gone over it and dislodged it. 
And then Charles Leclerc went over it and hit the debris, basically. That caused a red flag. The FIA had to come out and get the track inspected and then fix that drain cover because it wasn't safe. Apparently, Carlos Sainz was trackside and he saw that the drain cover was getting loose. He had told the FIA, but they weren't able to do anything before Charles and Lewis ended up running over it. So yeah, we love a loose drain cover in Formula 1 at the moment. Now that happened with about an hour, maybe an hour and a half left in the morning session. It wasn't a quick fix for the FIA to sort out and then to be able to inspect the track afterwards. So they ended up calling lunch early and then adding an extra hour on to the afternoon session. So the afternoon session, instead of being four hours, was five hours and going to start an hour earlier. Now that did mess up some of the driver timings because some of the drivers were doing half of the day. Most of the drivers actually were doing half a day and not a full day. So it meant that some of them were shortchanged, basically. Some of them only had, what, two and a half hours? Yeah, I think it was about two and a half hours in the car in the morning. Not great for them. Ferrari ended up having the most laps that day with 138. Caron ended up having the least, surprisingly, with 87 laps. Perez had the most laps out of the drivers with 129. He did end up doing a full day testing. It was meant to be a half day, but with all the interruptions, I think Red Bull basically decided, look, we'll put you in for a full day so you get all the time that you need, and then we'll just swap our half days to the Friday. Hulkenberg and Alonso were the drivers with the least amount of laps. They only managed to get 31 laps in and I think that really shows the limited running that drivers had in the morning because they were both drivers that were only running in the AM session so really shows you how much that red flag messed up some of the driving programs for these drivers. Notable teams for day two Red Bull I mean actually you know what this wasn't so great for Sergio Perez because yes the drink cover caused a red flag but at the beginning of the session his brakes were on fire. Now look, Sergio Perez has not had a great time in Formula 1 lately, I would say. I think a lot of people would agree. Performances have not been amazing, have not been up to the standard of his teammate Max Verstappen. Media have really, really questioned whether or not he will have a seat with Red Bull. Last year, there was chat about whether or not they would cut his contract early. This year, big, big questions as his contract runs out about will he be staying with Red Bull and if not where is he gonna go bad luck is hitting him right at the start of this season though I mean yeah the red flag at the beginning of the session breaks on fire that had to be fixed there was apparently a very bad charred smell from them as well so yeah not the greatest start to his day there was also another issue with the car I think he was on a fast lap the car slowed down had to go back into the pits and get that sorted out that took a little bit more time so it really was not the smoothest day for him, especially when you compare it to Max's, which seemed a lot better. He wasn't facing those kind of issues, at least. Got smooth running in, did what he needed to do. No fires, no red flags, and just was able to get the job done. Mercedes ended up having Lewis Hamilton in the full day, just like George did the previous day. And yeah, I think the car seemed very similar to when George was driving it, right? So once again, they were focusing on long runs. But the car seemed to be a handful, did not seem easy to control, didn't seem stuck to the racetrack very well. Quite interesting, the commentary surrounding day two testing when they were talking about Lewis. Obviously, they are going to mention the fact that he's moving to Ferrari in 2025. I feel like a lot of the commentary about Lewis this season is going to be that move next year. But 
obviously they're also talking about who is going to take that Mercedes seat next season. So much talk about Kimi Antonelli, who is going to be driving in F2 with Prema this year. Now, he is a Mercedes junior driver and he was driving in Freca last year, actually. Formula Regional hadn't driven in F3. They opted to skip F3 for him and get him into F2. Now, he is a phenomenal driver. There's absolutely no denying that. And to be able to skip Formula 3 and go straight into Formula 2, I think shows how much confidence and faith the Mercedes team have in him for Prema to want to take him on. I think that also shows that they have a lot of faith and hope in him. Look, I know Toto was saying it would be a bold move. He wants to have a bold move into the seat, but I don't think that this would be the most sensible decision. Now, there are commentators, Will Buxton specifically, who seem very, very certain or seem to really want him to be in that seat come 2025. And looking at it from a driver development perspective, first, I don't think that's the best idea for him. No doubt about it that he is a very talented driver and that he is very, very gifted in what he does. But we don't actually know how he's going to cope with F2 yet. We don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes we put a lot of pressure on drivers and that pressure itself gets them to crack a little bit. It's not that they lose any of their talent or any of that skill that they've earned and they've learned. But it's just the fact that, yeah, the amount of pressure and there is going to be a lot of pressure on him. And with all of these rumours surrounding him joining that Mercedes team in 2025, I feel like the media around him, there's going to be so, so much of it. And for a guy that was in Freca, skipped F3 into F2, that media is going to be quite a stark difference, right? So yeah, you don't know how he is going to cope with Formula 2. You don't know whether he's going to need just a little bit more time. Most drivers tend to spend two years in Formula 2. Don't get me wrong, there are exceptions. Oscar Piastri won it in his first year, in his rookie year. He won F3 in his rookie year, won F2 in his rookie year. It happens and hats off to him if he manages to do it. Absolutely amazing. However, I think... It's about not rushing him into all of these things. You don't want to completely crack such an amazing talent because you've put too much pressure on and too much expectation on straight away. Now, that is looking at a driver perspective. If you want to look at it from a team perspective, I'm looking at Mercedes and I don't necessarily think, and I will talk about this later, but I don't think they have a championship winning car this year. I think we don't agree with that. You're losing Lewis Hamilton, who was a massive massive leader in your team whether you like him or not he is a guy that really helped mold the Mercedes F1 team really helped them to get to where they were with all of that success I have seen the quotes from DTS even though I haven't watched the episode about the fact that when he's given feedback about the car they didn't listen and then realized that yeah actually he was right the concept didn't work and then in that respect George is still fairly new to the team he will be taking on that leadership role. But you lose such a vast amount of experience and wealth of knowledge when Lewis moves from Mercedes to Ferrari. And what is Mercedes' loss is going to be Ferrari's gain. They've got one guy who's been in Ferrari for a number of years now. You've got another guy who's the seven-time world champion who has come off the back of an amazing win streak before the 2022 regulations came in and knows what it's like to win a championship more recently than Ferrari do. And you're going to chuck a rookie into the Mercedes car. You're really going to have to rely solely on George to give you 
good feedback, reliable feedback. And you are going to hope that between these two fairly young drivers, you can go and win a championship. It's going to be a very, very interesting thing, I think, whoever Mercedes get into that car, because you will be losing 104 pole positions of experience, 103 wins worth of experience, seven championships worth of experience, eight or nine WCC's worth of experience. That's a lot that you're losing. So there is bold, yes, of course, but there is also me wondering whether or not they're making a sensible decision. We will wait and see on that, though. And yeah, we'll be keeping up to date on the silly season rumours and news because that Mercedes C is definitely one I'm very interested in. That was a little bit of a tangent, though, but really wanted to chat about that because there was so much chat about Kimi Antonelli during day two of testing. Ferrari was a team that had an interesting day. Like I mentioned, Charles Leclerc ended up going over the debris from that drain cover. His floor did have to be replaced. They could not run with it. It was damaged. And I think for Ferrari as well, you want to collect good data, not compromised data. So the best thing they could do was just change the floor. Thankfully, they had a spare one. They also did let Charles finish off his program from the morning into the afternoon, so he had an extra 40 minutes in the car in the afternoon before they switched over with Carlos. Floor change didn't seem to cause any issues, though. Everything seemed pretty good. McLaren, yep. Difficult day for them. Didn't hit 100 laps. Don't really know what happened. It was not a great day. I think it was that afternoon session that really hampered them. Lando was not able to get the running in that he wanted through no fault of his own. Went into the pits with about an hour and 50 minutes left of the entire day. And yeah, there was a lot of looking at the rear of the car and trying to figure out what was going on there. So some reliability issues that were plaguing McLaren. Usual sort of suspects that you would expect from the top of the timesheets on day two. Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris. Daniel Ricciardo, once again, being further up there, but he was on a C4 tyre, so one of the softer tyres compared to Perez, Hamilton and Norris, who were on C3s. But then you had the other RB of Yuki Tsunoda right at the bottom, so I don't know whether they were doing more long-run data with him. Going into the final day of testing, and it was fairly quiet, to be honest. I was expecting... I guess more glory runs, more qualifying runs, but I don't feel like we got that many. And with glory runs, especially from the teams further down the field, none of them really opting to do it. It just seemed like a fairly methodical day for a lot of the teams. They were just getting through their programs. None of them really wanted to try and do those glory runs, try and show off. They just wanted to get as much data as they can, which does make sense. A lot of them were going through major changes with their cars. Saying that, though, 30 minutes into the morning session of day three, Sergio Perez ended up running over the exact same train cover. Yep, I was not expecting train covers to be the biggest enemies of the cars and to be causing this many red flags. This is what I mean. I wouldn't necessarily blame Charles or Sergio Perez for these red flags. I blame the track. I genuinely just blame the track. And there's no one really to blame here. I think someone made a point online that these cars are generating a lot more downforce at the moment. The way that the cars have been designed, the way that as we get further and further into these regulations, more teams are getting to grips with how to create that downforce. The amount of downforce generated is getting a lot higher. There's a lot more downforce generated and it is pulling up these drain covers. And the thing is, there's just no way for us to simulate the downforce that you would experience with an F1 car. And I think I spoke about this last season with the Vegas GP when Carlos Sainz had gone over the drain cover and that had pulled up and damaged the car. That if the FIA had some kind of prototype F1 car, 
that they could drive around the circuits maybe that would help but even then like i said we're getting iterations of the 2022 regulations the cars are getting better and better so from year to year the amount of downforce that they're creating is changing the fia can't always figure that out either apparently rumor has it that bahrain are going to be filling up the drains with concrete to get past this problem so they don't have to worry about the drain covers they can do that because right now it is looking like there is going to be no rain on the forecast for the race and hopefully they are right and we aren't going to get any rain because otherwise draining the track of the rainwater is going to be an absolute pain in the backside but that's also not feasible for every single circuit now i think britain is going to be the best example of that silverstone you can really never tell i mean i know we come into summertime in britain when we go to silverstone however we know if you live in britain that that does not guarantee that there will be no rains and it's not just that you think about places like spa traditionally it rains quite often around the time of year that we go there you just can't tell we've gone to racetracks where at that time of year there shouldn't be any rain and it buckets down so it will be interesting to see what they ought to do maybe they will wait until it gets closer to the time and look at the forecast and just see if this is a continuous problem as well however thankfully with Sergio Perez there was no damage to the car but in the case of the Ferraris both in Vegas and in Bahrain there was damage to their floor and that had to be replaced through no fault of their own they're having to go through more parts and go through their floors because of something that they can't really control definitely something i think the fa should be looking into because if it continues happening i can't envisage 10 very happy team principals and 20 happy drivers but because of that the fa opted just not to have lunch they were like you can carry on driving through lunchtime most of the teams did take a little bit of time out for lunch though because there were periods where we just had no cars on track but yeah, they just said, look, we'll run through lunchtime so that hour-ish that you've missed because of this red flag, you've not technically lost it. Haas were the team with the most amount of laps once again for two days out of the three in testing. They topped the tally sheets with 169 laps. Alpine were the team with the least with 102. So day three was fairly consistent testing. All the teams managed to get over 100 laps in. Alex Albon was the driver with the most amount of laps. He was the only driver that did do a full day of testing. He ended up getting 121 laps in and then Lando Norris had the least with 20. For looking at a driver that did part of the day, the driver with the most amount of laps was his teammate Oscar Piastri with 91. And We will discuss what went on with McLaren. Actually, you know what? Let's have a chat about McLaren now because yes, very limited running for Lando Norris in the morning. The issues that his car was having in the afternoon the previous day still seemed to be plaguing them in the morning now it was reported that it was a clutch issue but yeah between having to sort out that and the red flag 20 laps for Lando Norris I think they ended up putting Oscar Piastri in the car a little bit before the four hour mark so that halfway mark but yeah he got a solid 91 laps in so on a whole McLaren didn't lose a whole load of time however as a driver Lando Norris probably didn't get as much running in as he wanted mercedes did seem to improve with the drivability of the car it looked a lot smoother the car looked more stuck to the ground it didn't look as squirrely which is always good so yeah by day three it seemed like they had managed to hone in and figure out what they needed to do with the setup of the car with kick sauber Vantry lost some time in the morning so after the red flag when everyone had gone back out 
he ended up going back to the pits at some point and the boards were up around the car which means normally the floor is coming off and there looked to be work at the back of the car as well so potentially some reliability issues in the morning sure Guan Yu got in in the afternoon though and that seemed like a smooth run for him but yeah overall day three felt like a fairly quiet day of testing Charles Leclerc ended up topping the timesheets with some C4 tyres followed by George Russell and then it was Shou Guan Yu who was also on a set of C4s Max Verstappen did not put on a set of C4 tyres or if he did he did not set his fastest time his fastest time was with a set of C3s that exact time was matched by Yuki Tsunoda with a set of C4s Daniel Ricciardo was at the bottom of the timesheets but he was on a set of C1 tyres that Zhou Guan Yu time though that got him into what third place feel like that might have just been a glory run I don't know overall right I feel like this was quite a quiet testing no fires on track no crashes we had one stop on track from Alex Albon but it wasn't dramatic reliability in general didn't seem that dire yes we had a lot of cars spending time in garages we saw from the lap times and the lap numbers however not in terms of cars stopping on track engines just going kaput gearboxes not working that sort of thing the reliability issues weren't that bad and that dire drivers were able to get back into the pits to get stuff sorted so it didn't really interrupt everyone else's running kind of makes sense we've got an engine brace going on engine regs change in 2026 so all the teams are under an engine freeze so you're not really expecting a whole load of difference with the engines and the reliability there we are three years now into a brand new set of aero regulations teams yes have changed a lot of their concepts but not so that it's so revolutionary a lot of them are just following what red bull did so yeah reliability is getting a lot better on the grid and that's what you want to see you don't want championships and races decided solely by reliability it does happen but you would rather see things happen because of driver skill because of race pace and quality pace and things like that over it being because yeah PU's not working well or something fell off the car. Now looking at where I think these teams are after testing for 2024 and yes of course we don't exactly know what's going on. The data people have gathered and managed to figure out about race sims and quality sims might not be 100% accurate because yes we don't know engine modes and we don't know fuel loads or how much a driver is holding back. However from what we've gathered from what I've read here's what I think generally is going to be the order i do not think it's going to surprise anyone to know that i've put red bull at the top of this list i think the smile on max's face on the last day of testing i think it was in one of his interviews when he's talking about the car really says it all he's so confident and happy with this car he said that the problems that they had last year which were tiny in comparison to some teams right they have been sorted so really this car is a step forward in the right direction it is a new concept but it still looks so smooth so quick so easy to drive it still looks like the car that every f1 driver is gonna want to drive this season general consensus around the paddock between drivers and teams is yet no one's going to still be able to compete with red bull which is gutting on a racing level but i mean yeah red bull have nailed the regulations and they are now able to benefit from nailing them so early on. There is already talk, right, of there being a upgrades package coming after the Australian Grand Prix, which is the third GP of the season. So they're not resting. Red Bull are not willing to wait around and see if teams can catch up. They are constantly trying to stay ahead of the pack and it is paying off for them as far as we can tell. After Red Bull, I think it will be Ferrari. Now, 
I'm not the only one that thinks this. I think a lot of the media outlets at the moment, a lot of the content creators in around F1 that I follow and journalists and things like that, think that Ferrari are going to be the team who will be the closest to Red Bull. And I'm not saying that they are going to be neck and neck with Red Bull. I don't think it'll be a 30 second difference. So I think that there are going to be quite a couple of races this season where Ferrari will be able to compete for a win and compete for pole. The drivers, Carlos and Charles, both seem way, way happier with the car. So does Fred Vasseur. They seem more comfortable with the way that it's operating, the way that it's moving. And I think once your drivers are happy with the car, you've won half your battle. Like I know that pace is also important, but there are drivers that are able to extract a little bit more out of their car. And I think Carlos and Charles are two of those type of drivers. And if they're happy and the car is predictable, it's easier to do those things. And I mean, look, when I was Googling F1 Ferrari, other than the articles, obviously about Lewis Hamilton's move there, a lot of them are talking about Red Bull versus Ferrari this season, which I think says it all. We've got Charles saying that they just have a much better base to build on now. So even though it might not be the best car straight away, I think they kind of know the development direction that they want to take as the year goes forward because this car right now is stable. After Ferrari, I'm saying McLaren. Now, I can't lie, I did think in winter break that they were going to be the team that would compete with Red Bull. It was going to be McLaren because of the way they ended last season, right? It's not they've fallen behind, but Ferrari have just potentially made a better move up ahead of the field. Testing for them on a whole was a little bit up and down. There were days where it seemed consistent and they seemed fine on track. And then there were moments and half days where they just weren't getting laps in. It was a fairly quiet testing for them. And I don't know whether potentially, right, some of McLaren, definitely McLaren fans are probably hoping for the same sort of reaction that Aston Martin had in the media when they hit the ground in testing in 2023 but that just didn't happen i mean it looks like a stable enough car it looks consistent whether it can compete with red bull where it was last year i'm not sure lando has said he doesn't think they're as fast as red bull or ferrari he doesn't have confidence for the bahrain grand prix but also he said that bahrain isn't really a track that they generally do well in historically so I don't think they're expecting too much from there, but we'll see how they do in Saudi and Australia. Andrea Stella, however, said that there are some weaknesses that have been resolved, the things like rear grip, which is obviously going to help them on a race day. But Lando says that even though they think they are on the right track, there are some weaknesses that just haven't fully been resolved. So hopefully as time goes on, the season goes on, we'll see those things getting sorted out. After McLaren, I put Mercedes in fourth place. Now, yeah. I think this will be a car that is more comfortable for their drivers, definitely more predictable. Do I think it will be a quick car? Not sure. Not straight out the blocks anyway. Maybe as they bring upgrades in potentially. However, looking at Bahrain and the testing there, not too sure right now. I think part of the reason I am putting them in fourth and I'm really not sure what is going to happen with them, to be honest with you, is because I don't think that they fully widened their setup window. And we heard last season, the season before that in 2022, that was one of the issues that they were having. The car was really temperamental. If it wasn't in exactly the right setup window, it was not going to be a fun car to drive. I'm not convinced that they've managed to find that setup window yet. I'll be very interested to see because yes, day three was 
a lot smoother for them. Day one and day two, though, was not the smoothest ride for either of their drivers. Even though they said the car was better, better doesn't always mean great. Better doesn't always mean best. And really, better compared to the W14 and the W13, I mean, it's not a high bar, is it? Lewis and George, though, do seem to be happy with the progress they've made over winter break. So I think at least, if nothing else, we can say this is a step in the right direction for this car. Andrew Shovlin, who is the trackside engineering director, said that the driver feedback is a lot more positive compared to Bahrain testing last year. And I think you could tell that in the body language and the way the drivers were talking about the car. He also said there were a number of problems with the W14 that are now behind them. So problems that have been resolved with this newer concept car, which definitely definitely is a good sign just going to be curious as to how quick this car is with its raw pace i'm putting aston martin in fifth right so i think testing for them was very very methodical they were a team that went through testing quite quietly weren't grabbing the headlines like last year also not grabbing the wrong kind of headlines they weren't right at the back of the pack they weren't causing red flags or yellow flags they were never a team with the least amount of laps they were consistently being able to get out on track, get the data that they wanted. Weren't really pushed towards the top of the timesheet. So with either of their drivers, I mean, a lot of those places went to Ferrari, Red Bull, sometimes Mercedes, sometimes McLaren, right? Wasn't really Aston Martin. Sometimes we saw the RB actually be higher than them on the timesheets. And once again, yes, we really don't know about engine modes and fuel loads. But interesting that they never really tried to push further up on the timesheets at any point. However, Aston Martin seemed to be pretty happy. They said they had a really big testing program. They've got a lot of data to go through and that is really going to help them over the next couple of races. And now I have ended up putting racing bolts next or V-carb or Visa Cash Up, RB, RB, whatever you want to call them. I've put them in sixth place. I do think this is a much better car compared to what they've had. Now, Yuki Tsunoda said he thinks his car is a very, very big step forward. I think they've really built on the upgrades that they had at the end of last year in Abu Dhabi. Times looked really good. No major reliability issues. Both of their drivers getting some good amount of laps in. But I think with RB, it's going to end up being track dependent. Don't know why. I think it's more of a gut feeling. I think their performance really will be track dependent at least at the very start, before they start bringing upgrades in. I've put Alpine in 7th. Part of me thinks maybe I should have put them in 8th. We're going to keep them in 7th for now, okay? It was a quiet testing for them. They really were trying to keep their heads down, because they've had a couple of years now where they keep thinking that they're going to be competing at the front, where they've made a jump towards the top of the field, or so they've said, and it's not materialised. This year, I feel like they're trying to stay quiet about stuff. Pierre Gasly has said that, yeah, it doesn't look great, and said that they have to be patient to try and unlock performance. So I don't think Alpine are really starting where they want to. Honestly, I think what they saw in the wind tunnel and during simulations probably is not matching up with what they're seeing in the car right now. Then again, I tell you what, pretty sure it was maybe Will Buxton that said that Esteban Ocon had told him that the 2024 car probably won't be great at the start. So maybe it is just all adding up, really. I, anyway, I don't think Alpine are going to be that competitive to start off with. I'm going to caveat all of this with the fact that, yes, I'm saying for the beginning of the season, before we get the upgrade packages, big, small, whatever, this is where I think the teams are going to be. And yeah, I... Alpine, I would like to see them do well because I like both of the drivers, but I think it's going to be a really tough start to the season for them. And the issue is when you start slow off the blocks, 
everyone else has got a head start. They're also working on upgrades. They're not standing still. So Alpine can bring upgrades, but everyone else ahead of them and behind them will also be bringing upgrades. So yeah, I don't think this is going to be a great season for them. And I can see them finishing in a worse place than they did in 2023. Eighth place, I have put Williams. I am gutted about their preseason testing. I had so many high hopes. I thought they were going to end up leapfrogging Alpine and finishing sixth, maybe even fifth place if we were lucky. But it's being the team that's probably had the worst testing this year. Now, I don't think it is as bad as what provisional race pace simulations are showing from some of the data analysts online. And I know they're just using the data at the end of the day. This isn't their personal opinion. They're literally just looking at the data that they've managed to get from testing. I think that their reliability issues have really hampered their performance and hampered the way they've been able to run their car. So I don't think it will be that bad. I do think that if they can sort out the reliability issues that they've had all the way through testing, it will probably be a lot better for them and at that point, I could see them leapfrogging Alpine. However, as it stands right now, yeah, if those reliability issues plague them in the first two, three races, it is going to put them on the back foot. If their drivers can't finish races and can't score points, it's hard to catch up. Not impossible, just slightly more difficult. Saying that though, yes, the car is driving very differently according to the drivers. They're having to adapt their driving styles a little bit, but Alex Albon has said that there are new weaknesses in the car that they need to now iron out, even though some of them have been solved. James Lowes says that he is happy with the progress. And James Lowes, I think, is one of those team principals that would not be saying things like that if he didn't mean it. He's quite straightforward and honest about things. So I think performance-wise, they're happy with the car. Reliability-wise, where everyone on during testing, maybe not as happy. Kick Sauber are in ninth place for me. This was a really quiet testing. I couldn't really find much on them. And I didn't hear about them a whole load during testing, other than the fact that they have a new name. And people aren't really using that new name. We're calling them Kick Sauber because certain places won't allow us to use steak. And yeah, new livery. So yeah, that was mainly all I heard from them during testing. I can't particularly see them jumping up the field because a new name is literally down to a new sponsor. It's not new ownership. And I think that's really important to remember that, yeah, Sauber still own the team. It will be taken over by Audi, hopefully in 2026, as long as that deal still goes ahead. But Stake is just a sponsor. It's just money into the team. They have no control necessarily over the team. So that's why they are in ninth. And in then 10th place, I have put Haas. Yes, they finished the most amount of laps this testing, which is wonderful and glad they don't have reliability issues. However, Ayo Komatsu, the new team principal of Haas, has already told us that they are going to be starting on the back foot. It's not going to be an easy start to the season for Haas. They were not focusing on performance properly. They were looking more at their tyre management and some of the other issues that they were trying to fix over winter break. So yeah, I can't see Haas really finishing any higher than 10th, which sounds kind of bad, but it's genuinely what I think is going to end up happening for this team. They need more investment. I've said this before. They need the investment. They need the money. They need Gene to try and plow more money into this team to update things to help them with their development but yeah I think until that happens if that happens it's going to be very very difficult and that was testing in 2024 we are only a couple of days away from cars being on track for a race weekend and by the time this comes out which will be a Tuesday it'll be two days because the Bahrain GP will be on a Saturday they're accommodating for Ramadan this year it should be starting 10th 11th of March 
So the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is being a day early, so it misses the start of Ramadan. And by FIA regulations, races have to be seven days apart, which is why Bahrain has also had to shift over a little bit. So please remember, yes, I don't want you guys missing any races. If you want to watch, it will be on a Saturday, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. And then after that, up until Vegas, if you're American, we'll be back on a Sunday. So the next time I'll be chatting to you guys is when we properly, properly see what these cars are capable of. We'll see them in quality trim. We'll see them in race trim. I will probably talk to you about Max Verstappen win next week. I can't lie. I am 95% sure. Let's say, yeah, 95% sure it's going to be a Max Verstappen win. Those race predictions, though, will be on my TikTok and my Instagram at stewards underscore office. I post them every race week and I love hearing also what you guys think are going to happen. So go and follow me over there and drop me comments in those videos and posts about what you think is going to happen. But yeah, so excited to see cars back on track. Was so happy that we got to see testing and that we've not got long now to wait until we see proper race day ready cars. So come back next Tuesday 9am where we'll be running down everything that happened in the very first race of the season. Thank you guys so so much for listening and please leave a five star review on this podcast if you enjoyed it. It really does mean the world to me and I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the steward's office.